Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, whenever you come to bring the message, you spend a lot of time thinking and praying and working on what you think God has to say. And so I was excited this morning to come um, with what I feel like God has to say. And then as I was worshiping this morning, I'm even more excited now because nearly every single song that we sang had the essence of what I think God is wanting to say to us this morning. So I really, truly believe that God actually has something that he wants us to hear. And so I'm just going to pray that we will have ears to hear what he has to say and not my words, but his words is what will come through. Lord God, I want to thank you that you're God who speaks, that you're always speaking. And so I pray, God, that we will leave this place knowing what you want to say to us. And I thank you, God, that you can use everything, God. You can use conversations, you can use songs, you can use your spirit just speaking directly to our spirit, God. You can use the words I've prepared, God. Whatever you want to use, God, I pray that we will leave this place knowing that we have met with you. So give us ease to hear what your spirit is saying, God. Amen. For those who don't know, we as a church are going through a series based on the letters from to the church by Francis Chan. And we are up to chapter 3, so this is based on chapter 3 of the book. But what we're actually doing is getting you guys and encouraging everybody to actually read the book or listen to it. On Sundays, we are going to be talking about something that comes out of the chapter, but this is not a rundown of the chapter. You are not going to understand all that is in the chapter by what I have to say today. I've read the chapter, I've sat with God, and this is what I feel like he's saying out of the chapter but there's lots more in it. In our Activate groups, there's another place where we are actually listening and talking and discussing and seeing what God has to say. So our prayer is that the combination of reading the book ourselves and hearing what God has to say, coming on a Sunday and hearing what God has to say, talking and discussing in our Activate group means we get a well-rounded view of what God actually wants to say in this space and in this time. So that's just to make sure that you don't think that this is just a recap on the chapter. So the first thing I want you to think about is when you were buying shoes, I'm assuming everybody in this room has at some point bought shoes. So I want you to have a think about it. When you were buying shoes, I actually need to buy some shoes. These ones are very, very old. When you're buying shoes, what do you actually consider? But I don't, hang on, I don't want you to tell me. I want you to like turn around and talk in getting in like little groups you guys can be a group up the back. Just turn around and talk among yourselves and come up with a few things as to what do you think about when you're buying shoes. So what were some things that came up? Size. size that's a big thing. The size matters. The purpose that you're using your shoes for? The style, what it actually looks like? Maybe what colour it is? Comfort? The price? Yeah, that can be a big one if they're on sale or not. Oh, okay. Do you, is it, if they're still kept, Jim, do you always buy them or if they're not? Ah. So we should all go jump on your toes, Jim, and see how well they, <laughs> they last. There's a whole range of things that we consider just when we're buying shoes. And buying shoes is not really the biggest decision that we ever make. It may be important, especially like podiatrists would tell you that you're on your feet for so many hours a day that the shoes that you buy is actually really important. But there are so many decisions that we make during every single day. 
let alone bigger decisions. And what I want to talk about today is how do we actually make decisions and more importantly, where does God fit in? Now, I talked to Catherine, my daughter, and I said to her, should I say where does God fit in or when does God fit in? Because both actually is true. I left it with where, but you can tell me afterwards whether my grammar is wrong and it really should be when more than where. For all of us in this room, I am making an assumption this morning. And my assumption is that we all want to be Jesus followers. So in that assumption, one of the things that I'm assuming is that we all want to actually know what God has to say. And the majority of the time, we actually want to follow what he says. Um, so if that, if that is not an assumption that you are comfortable with, that is perfectly fine. But because for some people in this world, where does God fit in? Well, he doesn't. He does not fit into the decisions that I make. He has no place at all. But I'm talking to people this morning who have actually already decided that God has a place in our life and that we actually want to follow him and we want to make decisions and we want him to somehow be involved in them. So I've come up with three, what I would call broad places where I think God sort of fits in when we're making decisions. And the first one is before you know what you want to do. And in some cases and in some decisions, before we've even decided what we're going to do, before we've even really started thinking about it, we come before God and we say, God, we need your wisdom. What do you have to say? Other times, it's during the decision. We've thought about it. We've been wondering about it. We may have done some research and then we say, hey, God, this is where this is going. What do you have to say about that? And so during the decision-making process, we bring him into that situation. And in some cases, it's after you've decided and then you consult. I know um, when I was at Youth Dimension doing some teaching there, we would talk about how you should do dating relationships and how physical you should be and how physical you shouldn't be. And what people would talk about was how close can I get to the line before God's unhappy? And so they want, they want to know, this is what I want to do. Is that okay with God? And in some cases, we do that all the time. God, this is what I want to do. Can you just approve the decision that I'm making? I'm not actually asking what you have to say. I'm just making sure that you're not going to strike me down if I do this thing. Or this is what I'm looking to do, so let me find the scripture that actually confirms what God is already saying. So that's what I mean when we've already decided and then we look to consult to see that, you know, we're not too far off the track. There are actually, in my mind, two ways of seeing God's role in your life. People may have seen these circles before and it's a way that sometimes people use to actually describe what the difference between someone who is a Christian and someone who isn't a Christian I'm using it slightly differently, but I just wanted to acknowledge that way just in case I'm confusing you because you've seen it used in other ways. So let's pretend that this circle is your life. And in everybody's life, the seat is the control seat, the decision-making place, so where the decisions are made. So in the life of a disciple and most people that want to try and follow God, 
I think there's two ways that we try and fit God into the picture. One is this way, where we say, God, you are the one making the decisions and I'm beside you listening and doing what you say. The other way is where we say, I make the decisions and Jesus, I'm going to make sure that you're okay with what I'm doing. They're actually two really, really, really big differences that we can actually think that we are following God in. Because in this way, God is actually not in control. We are the ones that are in control and he is the thing that we consult. For other people, they can be in control, have nothing to do with God and they may consult a blog that they really like to read or a financial advisor that they really trust the opinion of. And so in that case, God is actually not the one who is in control of this person's life. He's just the one that advises on what's happening. In this case, the ultimate ideal is God says that it is what happens. In this case, the only question is, God, what are you saying? And then that is the decision that is made and that is how we outwork ourselves. Is that making sense to people? Matthew 16, 24 to 26 says this. Then Jesus says to his disciples. So disciples means talking to people who are already following him. To us. If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your, your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's been times when I've talked to people about this idea of who's in control. And people balk at the idea that God is the one in the control seat and they are not. Because the idea that we are actually not the ultimate authority in our life is often something that we struggle with. Even as Christians, we struggle with it. We want to be the one who has the freedom to make the choices that we want to make. The thing is, this verse clearly tells us if we actually want to truly follow God, we actually have to give up your own way. That means the way that you want to do things doesn't actually matter anymore. You have to take up your cross and follow him. What will it benefit you if you gain the whole world? Everything that this world says is important that you actually gain it all, but you actually lose your soul. And the thing is, every single one of us at some point, given the assumption I've made, has decided we want to be this circle. It's just that often we operate this way. Another version says, daily give up your life and follow him. Because that is the one choice that we need to make. Every single day, which are we going to do? Are we actually going to say, God, you are ultimately in control and if you say it, I will do it? Or will it be, I will decide and I will consult you and I may consult other people and I might consult other things, but you saying it isn't the ultimate 
authority in what happens. How about us as a church? Sometimes we can think the Bible is talking singular, but most of the time it's actually talking corporately. And so we as a church need to remember and remind ourselves and actually ask the question, are we being a church that says, God says it, we do it? Are we being a church where God, what God says is the final authority on everything else? Not what a person says, not what seems like a good idea, not what someone else is doing, but actually what is God doing and what is God saying? Last week, Matt talked about chapter 2 in Letters to the Church. And chapter talk, 2 talked about the fact that God is sacred. And because he was sacred, he actually deserves special honour and reverence. And it's the idea that God is sacred that means that the idea that God has a way of doing things and that way matters actually comes together. If we do not believe that God is sacred, if we do not believe that God is who he says he is, that he's holy and set apart and because of that we need to treat him in a certain way, then what we're talking about today doesn't matter because if it's God is just, and I, if Jesus is just someone who had some really good ideas, there's lots of people with good ideas, so let's just put him in the mix with everything else and decide who we, what we're going to believe or what we're going to do in any given moment. But if God, if Jesus is actually holy and set apart, if he's actually sacred, then what he says has to have the ultimate authority and in our lives. This is what Francis Chan says at the beginning of this chapter in chapter 3. He calls it the order because he's talking about the fact that God has an order for things. He says, we think about what we want, what others would do, what others are doing. In the spirit of Cain, we bring an offer and we think we should accept rather than the one he actually asks for. When I read that, I had to take a stand back and go, boy, how often do I actually do that? Instead of doing what God is saying, I try and go, is this good enough? Would this be okay? How can I still do what I think is a good idea and sort of just make sure it fits in with God's way? But God actually is really clear in the way that he wants us to live. And if he is sacred, if he has the ultimate authority, then we need to live like he does. John 10.10 says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. How many people have heard this quoted like heaps and heaps of times? It's a really well-quoted verse. Um, and it's really well-quoted because how fantastic is it? How fantastic is it to know that God has an abundant life for us? That Satan might come to try and take it away, but Jesus has come so that we can have life, but not just life, but life abundantly, life to the full. And we can hold on to that and go, God, I'd, like your word promises. Your word promises that I'm going to have an abundant life. I'm going to have an abundant life. How brilliant is that? That God wants us to not just have a life, but have a really full life. The thing is, we can sometimes forget that later on in John, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And sometimes we can pick and choose the Bible verses that we want to focus on because they make us feel better and not realise that they need to be seen as a whole. 
that God has an abundant life for us. But the only way we have the abundant life that God has for us is to actually be his disciple and be his follower. And the only way we be his follower is if we actually follow what he outlines for us. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything that you need. The first comes before the second. We have everything that we need because we're actually seeking the things of God. We don't have everything we need because of anything else, but because we're actually seeking the things of God. Philippians 3.8 says, yes, this is Paul speaking. He says, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I've discarded everything else, will count it all as garbage so that I may gain Christ. Galatians 2.20 says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. So I live in this eternal body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. We need to be living a life that's actually surrendered to God. And that means actually what he says is what we do. That we don't water down what he says, but we hold it as sacred and then we say, God, if you say it, that's what I'm going to do. If you say it, that's all I need to know. Is it really worth it? Sometimes, and I know this, I've, lots of the verses that we've talked about and lots of the things I've said has made it seem like it's all heavy and it's all bad and it's all like you've got to give everything up and you can't do things your way. But Jesus actually tells us some parables. So this his parable and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. In his joy he gives up everything he has and buys the field because he sees what the kingdom of God is like. In the second one, and again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus is actually telling us that his kingdom is worth it. He's actually telling us that his kingdom is worth us laying down everything to follow him. And then when we don't see that, we have to wonder or we're really seeing what the kingdom of God is about. And does anybody know why did Jesus send the Holy Spirit? Yeah, to be our advocate. Jesus said, it's better for me to not stay here on earth but to go to heaven because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will give you counsel. He will guide you. He will be your advocate. He will be the one that will actually at work mean your life. And so doing things God's way is not about us trying to do things God's way. It's about us surrendering to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We have Activate groups at here. We have ID groups at church. The reason that we've set up Activate groups and the reason we've set up ID groups is because this life that we are trying to live is not lived by ourselves. It's lived by us actually having the Holy Spirit living within us, guiding us, and it's about us being in community with others who are trying to do the same thing. Our Activate groups and our ID groups are a place where we can actually say, hey, what is God saying? How do I respond to that? When I muck up, forgiveness is found. 
the love that God has for me, the treasure that he has, the kingdom of heaven is so great, is actually worth everything. In my mind, there's a few reasons why we find this hard. The first one is we forget or we question whether God is actually good. We're saying today, God is so good. God is so good. But we actually question, and I know I do too, question, mm, God, are you really got my best interest in heart? God, are you actually really good? And when we question whether God is good, then of course we're going to be find it harder to actually walk in his ways. Because sometimes it's not easy. He tells us that the way of life, the road is really, really narrow. It's not a wide road. It's actually a narrow road. But if our God is a good God, it means he has actually good things in store for us. And if he has good things in store for us, if he has abundant life for us, which he does, the way that we know his abundant life is to actually walk in his ways. To realise that when he says something, that actually means something. And we find that really hard in our culture. As Matt mentioned last week, we're not really great at authority. We're not really great at like someone telling us what to do. We're much easier of going, you, I will decide for myself. And no one is going to take away my freedom of choice. But when we become a Christian, what we've actually said is I'm giving up my freedom. I'm giving up my freedom to do what I want to do and placing in the hands of my father and I'm going to try my very best to live a life that is pleasing to God. If I love him, I will follow his commandments. I will lay down my life and I will take up my cross and I will follow him. Not because that's the easiest answer, but because that's actually the best answer. The abundant life that God has for us is actually found when we give up our lives and it's no longer I that live, but it's actually Christ that lives in me. Romans um, 12 says to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his pleasing and perfect will. But that is true. A living sacrifice is the choice that we make. As a disciple of Jesus, if we are a follower of Jesus, that is what we are saying. I lay down my will and I take up your will. Your will is good and perfect and pleasing. And because I know that your will is good and perfect and pleasing, God, I will say, not my will done, but your will. I will say, I will give up my life so it's no longer I that live, but it's actually Christ that lives in me. Now, the thing is, whenever you talk about this, they're probably, they're probably in a room, even this side, there'll be someone who is like, hang on, Tanya, you're talking about works. You're talking about what we have to do. I'm talking about one thing that we have to do. And that's surrender. Once we surrender, all we're doing is following what we've already decided. If you want to read Romans, it's a great book that actually like explains this. Romans and Paul does a really good job of describing the difference between justification and sanctification. And I don't feel like I can finish, even though I don't have a slide because I didn't plan on saying this, but I don't feel like I can finish what I want to say without talking about what justification is and sanctification because I would hate anybody 
to leave this place feeling really downcast and feeling like I've just put a whole heap of expectations on, on you because that's not what this is about. Justification is saying because of Jesus' death on the cross, I am seen as absolutely forgiven and cleansed in the eyes of God. It's pretty much like if God is in heaven, and let's say heaven's up in the sky because that's what we normally think it is, God looks down at me and when he looks at me, he actually sees me covered in the blood of Jesus and he sees me as cleansed, he sees me as pure and he sees me as holy. That's it. Done. Soon as Jesus died on the cross and rose again, sin's forgiven, I am cleansed, I can know God, God can know me. That's why we can pray, enter the holies of holies because of what Jesus has done. Now, we all in this room know that when we really think about our lives and if we're honest with ourselves, it won't take long to go, I am not perfect. I am not holy. I do not live the perfect life that I know God has for me. And I will actually never do that. The reason I know that there's nobody in the whole earth that will ever live the perfect life is because if someone, even one person, could live a perfect life that was pleasing to God, Jesus would not have to come. The reason Jesus came was to say, you cannot do it. I cannot do it. We are always going to be struggling, as Paul points out, what I want to do, I do not do, and what I don't want to do, I always do. That struggle is always within us because we live this side of eternity. So we are completely seen as holy, but we know we're actually not holy. And so there's a process that the Holy Spirit takes us on of becoming more like Jesus, which is what sanctification is. That's the bigger word for it. Becoming more like Jesus. And becoming more like Jesus is saying, I'm going to actually sin less today than I did yesterday. I'm going to be more aware of where I don't do what God wants me to do because I'm going to be closer to the Holy Spirit than I am today. I'm going to choose today to pick up my cross and follow Jesus. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to be that living sacrifice. And then when and an hour later after I've made that decision, I stuff up and don't do it. What do we do? We keep close accounts with our God. We recognize it. We ask forgiveness. We turn repentance, turning from the way that you're doing things and walk in the opposite direction and say, God, help me to do better today. And then when today is not that better day, we do the same thing again. And then when we get to heaven, God looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Not because you've been perfect, but because you have lived a life where you are actually moving in the direction of being more like Jesus because your Holy Spirit does it. The Bible actually tells us that the one being God who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And so if we're doing what God's called us to do, doesn't mean it'll be easy, doesn't mean it will, it will be comfortable, but it means that he will be the one who works in us. And I'm sure that during our life we could probably all tell stories of a time and even times right now when we have seen that at work. Well, we know we're doing what God wants us to do. It is not easy. It's not the way that we want it to be. But we see God working and moving and helping us, even in the midst of, I don't want this to be the case. And even in the midst when we know that God doesn't want it to be the case. 
but he still works and he still moves because it's the Holy Spirit within us. So this is not about working more. This is about working actually less because we surrender ourselves, not trying harder. I want to actually encourage each one of us today to actually take a risk and trust God. It may seem easy. Trust God. And we all might go, yes, of course I trust God. But there's a parable again about the kingdom of heaven. And it's about a man who goes on a long trip and he calls together his servants and he trusts his money to them while he's gone. And he gives all of them different amounts. doesn't really matter that he gives them different amounts, but he gives them different amounts. Two of them takes what God's given them, gives things a go, tries and actually comes and says, hey God, this is, oh, man, this is what I now have for you. You gave me five and I now have ten. You gave me four and I now have eight. And then there's one of them who is so scared of making a mistake, who so doesn't want to displease his master that he buries it in the ground and then he comes back and says to the master, hey, I didn't lose what you gave me. Here it is. And the master goes, that was not what the plan was. The plan wasn't to be so scared that you did nothing. The plan was to use what I've given you to do more for my kingdom. And that's the plan that God has for us. And I think sometimes we get scared and we think, oh, I so don't want to muck up. I so don't want to get it wrong. God may be speaking to me and I might have a word for someone. I might have a gift of prophecy and want to give a word to someone, but I don't want to muck it up so I don't actually say anything because I don't want to muck it up. There's a risk that I feel like this could be God, but people think I'm crazy and so I'm not going to step out and do what I think God may be saying unless I get like 101 signs from heaven. And so we actually do nothing. God's kingdom is worth us doing something. And I truly believe that what God wants to say to us this morning is to actually do something. Surrender to me and then do what you think I'm saying. Think about it if you're a parent. If you're a parent and your child tries something and gets it wrong, you're not really that mad at them because they've given it a go. They've actually tried to tidy up even if they haven't tidied up that well. What do you do? You come along and say, hey, next time, maybe there's a better way we can do this. And that's how I see God. When we give things a go and actually take risks and step out for him, he meets us in that place and we find out that he does more than we could ever ask or imagine. God's word's actually true. And when it doesn't work out, he doesn't say, I'm done with you, Tanya. You're stuffed up and I want nothing to do with you. He actually says... Come on, let's learn and let's give it another go. So what is God saying today that you have been too scared to step into? Let's remember that we want to be people who actually surrender our lives to God. And if we know that God is saying it, there is no other question but when and how. And even if we just think God is saying it, I'm all for, not that I'm, I'm not, bro- like I still am trying to learn to do this, to go on what I think more than having to be absolutely sure. Because that's where faith is about. 
faith is saying, I've asked for wisdom, so God, I'm going to step in and trust that you've given it to me. I don't know, all, I don't know everything. I don't know how it's all going to look. I don't know how it all makes sense. But this is what I know, and I'm going to step into what you know because I care more about your kingdom and advancing your kingdom and following you and doing what you say than anything else. So let's be a church and a people that says, not my will, but your will be done, God. That says, I'm going to make a choice every day, and sometimes I have to make the choice 20 times a day, to actually say, no longer I that live, but you that live. I'm going to choose to surrender, and knowing when I choose to surrender, I'm surrendering to a good God. I'm surrendering to a God who has actually got great things in store, I've got a God that even when things are not great, he's there and he's with me. doesn't mean life will be perfect. It doesn't mean life will always happen the way that you want it to. But it means that we'll be a God that actually walks with us, a God that actually is there with us, a God that gives us the peace and the love and the grace that we need to live the life that he's called us to live. Hey, God, I just want to come before you today, God, and I pray the same thing that I prayed when I began speaking God that your words will be the words that will remain God that anything that has been said today that is not of yourself that it will just wash away God and that your word that does not return to your void is what will be remain God and so speak to us as a church speak to us as individuals God allow us to be a people that actually surrender ourselves to your ways not because they're easy but because they're the best amen